I've got a three-note range, August knows that. And when she hits those three notes, I'm cut the volume comes on. And then the rest of the time I'm just kind of singing like an Episcopalian. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm an Episcopalian and a Presbyterian and a Pentecostal and a Baptist. I had quite the upbringing. I had the Luby's version of Jesus. Um, I have my Bible here with me because I'm not really sure how legitimate my message is today. So this makes it all okay. Uh, how's everybody doing it? Yeah? You like the rain? I love the rain. I don't like to be out in the rain, but I love the rain. I need, by the way, I need one of my fancy girls to get me those cute little rain boots. Because I was out crossing the River Jordan in the parking lot. Anybody else do that too? Um, yeah, I don't have rain gear. I need rain gear. Okay, so uh, today I I have these papers, which would indicate that I have a message. But uh, I really just I, I have a, a, a series of questions, and uh, it's questions that God has posed to me uh, in the you know as a conversation, and questions are discovery, and that's the way God speaks to me a lot is through questions. Um, I think I'm just sort of wired that way. I'm a curious person. I love questions. I love to go digging, you know, for answers. And, um, and I'm an old news reporter. And so I think that that just the way he communicates with me is often he asks me a question. And I think it's also because it interrupts whatever rant I am in the middle of. Because I rant a lot. And a question will kind of interrupt that, right? You know, it makes you sort of stop and go, uh, for instance, um, the way this works, I was at my kitchen sink, uh, which is where my, much of my ranting happens, and sometimes it's out loud uh, if there's no one in the house. Sometimes it's a mental rant, and boy, I had one going, and it was all about my husband. And I was just like, uh, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, here comes the question. What if he's not the problem? Oh. Wait, <laughs> what? Because <laughs> well, my whole life is pretty much built on him being the problem. <laughs> so, whoa. And so then I go through, the, I'm like, I got a list for you. Okay, here we go. He doesn't do this, and he ought to do that, and he should be like this, and he's like that, and he doesn't do enough of this or enough of that. And then I played my big card, and he doesn't go to church. And then here comes the question. What if I'm okay with him? And that's like a Jesus mic drop. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we call that. I was like, I have no, I have no answer for that. I have, so that's how God talks to me, is like questions that sometimes interrupt a ring. Um, so I have a series of questions that I'm asking God that I'm going to share with you, and maybe it will lead all of us to a discovery of some sort. That's my hope. We'll see how it goes. Y'all okay? Yes. All right. So this April, I uh, well, back in March or February, I said I'm going to take the month of April off, and uh, I'm just going to, like, get away. I just got to get away. I have to run away. I want to get away from my life. I wanted to go as far away from my life as I can get. And I'm sure you've been there at some point or another, whatever, whatever the circumstances are. And um, I couldn't get any plans made. Everything fell through. Nothing was working out. And uh, I, I just, uh, if, uh, 
I, I, the question, why don't you stay home? And I'm like, home is what I'm trying to escape. But I, 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 then I remembered that question from the Lord brought to mind some prophetic words that I've had in the past about my house. That uh, someone had told me years ago, I see the Lord doing something with your house. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on with your house. And then not long after that, we ended up doing a huge remodel. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. But that seems kind of shallow for God. You know, we're going to get new backsplash. Really, that's <laughs> so. But, but so I've kept that in my mind. And it came to me. I'm doing something in your house. And he's saying, well, why don't you stay home? And then uh, I had had a number of prayer sessions, and some of them, I think, may have even happened during the way, or Casey may have been leading us as the staff. And we often ask God to show us a place of connection, right, a, a place uh, to, to meet with him. And I, I want to go to the mountains or to the lake or, you know, Paris. But I was in my backyard, and I'm like, really? This is the best we can do. My backyard. So, but I, I went with it, and, 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 and I began to just see this amazing beauty um, occurring. And, and I knew what he was saying. I knew that he was saying something to me about saying yes to my life and being, being present in my life and not rebelling and pushing away from my life. A lot of you know that I've been in a season of, for about four or five years now taking care of my mom and, um, and living with that man. And he was wonderful. And so, uh, so I, 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 I'm kind of, I'm, I'm telling you these things because they sort of come together. This whole idea of where is God calling me to? Okay. So I want to, uh, and then, and then, uh, I got an email from a, a friend of mine, Dan Hunt, and uh, he emailed a group of us, and he said this. This was this week. <clears throat> a few days ago, I was thinking of how many times I had told God that I'll do anything for you. As I was thinking about this, I heard the Lord very distinctly in my mind say, yeah, anything but nothing. It took me aback, but as I meditated on this, I knew it to be true. As long as things are going in a way that I feel is productive, or at least I have a specific focus and I feel useful, I'll do anything <coughs> for him. But when the Lord says, be still and know that I am God, or just go to work, keep going to work, keep being a mom, And then he doesn't seem to say anything else for a long time. I get discontent, and I try to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And that really spoke to me. Uh, it goes along with something that I've been mulling over. And so I'm going to mull this over with you today, if that's okay. Do I trust God when it seems like nothing is happening, from my point of view? What am I trying to produce versus what is he trying to produce in me? Craig Cooney, a prophetic guy out of Ireland, says, many people want to be discovered. And I see that in the church a lot, right, in the Christian community. Many people want to be discovered. God wants his people to be developed. Amen. Another question, what have I attached value to that he doesn't necessarily prioritize or value? We talk a lot about destiny, in the Christian community, you know, our destiny. And last year I was arrested uh, mid-ramp by a question from the Holy Spirit. What if destiny is not an achievement you arrive at in life, but a place you arrive at within yourself? Amen. 
be still and know. Psalm 46.10. In the Passion, I've shared this before, it reads, surrender your anxiety. Be silent. Stop your striving and you will see I am God. It sounds like a command. Hear it today as an invitation. Be still. An invitation to know by experience, maybe for me for the first time, to know him in a different, new, deeper way. He says it is in the stillness that we will know him, not just know about him. <coughs> I think I've tried to know that he is God through a lot of active methods, uh, like study and prayer meetings and conferences, reading, listening to messages, going to services, all well and good. Lots of information there. But now he wants me to experience knowing him through stillness. Why don't you stay home? Steve Backlund, uh, a guy I quote a lot, <coughs> says, and again, says, it is in this place of rest that my spirit receives revelation rather than information. To grow into maturity, we must know God the Father more intimately. Our highest call is not to teach about God, but to reveal Him. I hope that happens today. Unless we experience and soak up His presence, our relationship becomes cerebral rather than experiential. We know about it, but we're not living it. I believe that's the invitation that the Lord has for me, and that's what I'm going to talk about, and He gave me a picture for it. I've been setting aside time this month, trying to, of course, you know, things get hijacked, but I've been being intentional about setting aside time to meditate on Scripture and the thoughts that the Holy Spirit leads me to through the Scripture. It's getting easier, but I still find myself anxiously thinking that time is passing and I'm not doing enough. I'm not getting anywhere. And that's big in our culture, right? Even in the church, getting somewhere. I read someone said, I don't know who it was, I love to attribute quotes, but I don't know who it was. They said, direction is so much more important than speed. The Lord has been slowing me down, recalibrating the rhythm of my life. I've been focusing on breathing because that's a, way, a great way to recalibrate the rhythm of your life. I've been focusing on being present in the moment, trusting him with the moment. Trusting him with the moment. Even if that moment just seems to be a continuation of mundane duties and responsibilities or even irritation. Craig Cooney says, don't miss what God is doing because he's not doing what you want him to do. <laughs> I was at a quiet meditative prayer session recently and, and I asked him, what do you want me to know in that same sort of belligerent tone. Um, and the word, just one word came to me, and it was garden. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to ramble and mull and process with you. I jotted it down. I've been mulling it over ever since. I think garden is an invitation. I think garden means he is inviting me back to 
his original design. I want you to hear that for yourself, too. I may say me, I may say us, but I mean all of us who are loved by God, called by God. It raises some questions for me, though, this word garden. What does it mean to live in the garden? That was the first question he gave me. What does it mean to live from the garden? What does it mean to be a garden? I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't have any answers. <laughs> They're just really good questions and interesting for me. And it's leading, it's leading me. It can lead us somewhere. So naturally, I read through Genesis 2 and 3 uh, about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And so here are a few things that jumped out at me. Question number one, what does it mean to live in the garden? They were naked and unashamed. Big thing. Big thing. Na naked and unashamed. And that just kind of makes us uncomfortable, right? Just the whole idea of naked is uncomfortable. Naked physically, with no body issues, no uh, sense that there was something wrong or nasty about uh, nudity, no need to cover up. No need to cover up any part of themselves. They were naked in that they openly and honestly expressed their authentic identities, vulnerable, real, no pretense, totally exposed, and again, unashamed. Unashamed of how they looked, unashamed of who they were. Wow. So then, to live in the garden, maybe, is to live as one who never loses sight, never doubts of being made in the image of God, and to always hear the Creator saying, that's very good. Living in the garden is to always hear, that's very good. No fear of failure, no fear of man, no fear of judgment. There was free-flowing creativity in the garden. We see it unlocked in Adam as he names every animal. He's allowed to give every animal its name. So the garden then is a place of rich, unfettered imagination and creativity. They were free to eat. No queso, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> so it couldn't have been perfection. <laughs> but when he says in the word, they, you can eat freely, what that says to me as I began to ask the Lord about it, there was no concept of lack. Lack is a huge concept to our flesh, to the mindset of man to the world system that is the world system of man. When there's no concept of lack, there's no compulsion to hoard, grasp, or compete. No need to be driven by the idea that I can get mine because there may not be enough to go around. And if you get yours, that may have been mine. There may not be enough for me. In the garden, Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. They walked and talked with the Lord. I don't see them hurried, rushed, or anxious. I don't see them performing, striving, trying to earn anything. The question of worthiness doesn't even come up in the beginning. It was shame and fear that led them to hide from him, to suddenly feel like there was something wrong with them, and they needed to run from God. Shame and fear. So maybe God's goal 
is to get us back to a relationship with him without shame. Maybe that's what garden means. Maybe that's part of what it means. A relationship with him without shame. He silenced the worthiness question for eternity with Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ. Colossians 1 says, God the Father qualified us to share an inheritance. Maybe that's what he meant when he whispered garden. Maybe he meant that I was always supposed to be planted in his acceptance. Planted in acceptance. Maybe that's where we flourish and thrive. No shame, no fear. Remember when God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. He just felt their absence. The absence of who he had made them to be. And isn't it interesting, when they tried to put something between themselves and God, it was something from the garden. It was leaves. It was part of creation. I think he wants us back in the garden with him. Jesus has qualified us to live in it, and better yet, from it. That's my second question. What does it mean to live from the garden? I think it means I am shaped by it, informed by it. The garden is my source for being. Where I start from, where I come from, it's my filter, my mindset, my perspective. It's how I perceive. It's how I know. Because I come from the garden. I really think he wants us to get this. I really think he wants us to be uprooted out of shame and fear and securely planted in the garden. To live unselfconscious, unashamed, naked and real in his presence, connected to him. You know, I, I had a, a, an experience once on a prayer appointment where I was asked, I, you know, I, I was in a scene, the Lord was showing me a scene where Jesus was present. And um, it may have been Roz that was leading me through it. I can't remember. But I, I remember um, the prayer minister, who may or may not have been Roz, said, um, what does Jesus look like? What's the expression? What's he? And I went, I can't look at him. And that's when I realized the degree to which shame had bound me. I could not look in his eyes. I couldn't look in his eyes. And over time, that process, I, I, I know I've been, I'm being restored and being healed and being realigned and, and because, because now I can look in his eyes. But that was a real eye-opener uh, that I couldn't look in the eyes of Jesus because I was so ashamed. Unselfconscious, unashamed, naked and real, in his presence, connected to him. My friend Donna Harris sent me something this morning about grounding. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with that. Um, some call it earthing, some call it grounding. Uh, but I think it, it, it's, a, it's the word that came to her because she was praying for me this morning. 
And I went, oh, I know all about grounding. I love to go outside in my bare feet, on the grass or in the sand. I love connecting with the earth. And the, the premise behind it is that, you know, the earth has an electrical, uh, uh, releases an electrical something. And um, I failed science. And, and, and so, so we actually kind of connect to it when we're barefooted. We get away from it in modern society. You know, you all with rain boots on today, you're out of luck. So um, uh, grounding then is just like uh, getting centered and connected to nature, connected to creation. And, and I love that picture that the Lord gave my friend. But when I was talking to her about this, this, this living from the garden, it means I'm grounded. I'm, I'm, I'm in that same current of what he created. I'm a part, I become a part of creation. I find my place in his creation. I operate from that place instead of outside of it because of shame or fear. I operate from a place of, yes, I am a part of this. And so I love the idea of being grounded uh, in the garden. And I actually, I think this connects somewhat with what you taught last week, Ash, um, about the journey of faith. You know, remember last week she said that the steps are acceptance, belief, knowing, foundation. I think the garden is where I can be still and know. I think the garden is a, is a place where I know God, where I, I know how to grow spiritually. I think it's where knowing happens. How to grow spiritually, how to respond to triggers. And I think the garden, if you think about the grounding idea, it can be a picture of the foundation that Ashley talked about. The place where I am not rattled by life. The place where I understand authority if I'm living from the garden. The other thing that caught my attention as I read and reread Genesis was um, the tree of life. It's in the garden. And so let me say, when I first started learning scripture, you know, I went through all my denominational uh, pedigree background at the beginning. When I first started re reading scripture, um, I just, you know, was gung-ho, got on the Jesus bus, man, I'm all in. I was, uh, I was under a teaching that everything in the Bible is literal. There was an actual tree, an actual garden, and Eve took an actual piece of fruit and ate it, and then the wheels came off. I have since heard, you know, marvelous teaching from a Jewish, Jewish perspective uh, through the understanding of the Hebrew language and ancient uh, cultures, in the context of ancient cultures. So, so this has like opened it all up for me, and which is really good for me because it felt very limited and, and I just had to like ignore some things that, that didn't make sense to me or just I, I couldn't grasp it. Now I don't know if there was an actual tree in an actual garden or if the tree is just a picture to tell the story that we get to choose. Biblical scholars believe the tree of life is a representation of Jesus. We get to choose. We get to choose which operating system we run on, which one we submit to. The operating system of God, represented by the tree of life, or the operating system of the world, the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The operating system of the world is self. It's what I described a little bit earlier. 
I will do it. It's up to me. I gotta get mine. I will pursue my wants, my needs, my comfort above all else. Ephesians 2.2 talks about the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children. Yeah, that's the other tree. That's the operating system of the world that I think maybe the other tree, maybe it represents. 1 Peter 1.18 calls it an empty, futile way of life. The operating system of the world. We get to choose from the two trees and we experience the results, the fruit that each system produces. And how do we choose? We choose with words that we speak. We choose with the thoughts that we agree with. We choose what we yield to. We choose which tree rules us. What do we feed on? Genesis 3, 6 says, you know, this picture of Eve is looking at the tree and the serpent has talked to her about it. And she's looking at the tree and it says, she saw it was a tree to be desired in order to make one wise. She was already wise. That's the world system. So, question, was Eve actually looking at a tree or was she considering a thought, a belief system? Did Eve actually hand her husband a piece of fruit or did she feed him a lie? The same lie the serpent fed her. A lie that came from the other tree, the other operating system. A lie that came from the world in opposition to God. Get all you can. You're lacking something and you can't trust God. It's up to you. That's the operating system of the world. But I don't know. These are just questions. In verse 7 it says, The eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron-like girdles. So it seems to me that Adam and Eve were awakened to something that God never intended, and that caused them to cover up. I believe the story of the garden tells us that the operating system of the world brings shame and fear, and that God's operating system rescues us out of that and takes us back. And I think Casey has taught on the tree of life and knows a lot more about it than I do. I'm not a Bible scholar or a Torah scholar, but when my attention was drawn to the words tree of life and the story, I felt God was saying that if I live from the garden, the garden that defines me, the garden in me, then the tree of life and its operating system is always available. It is the focal point of my internal landscape. The tree of life. Jesus. If I live in and from the garden, I can eat freely from that tree. Remember, Adam and Eve could eat freely? Mm -hmm. So can I. So can you. We can choose to. Or I can eat from the tree that brings shame and fear. That's very bitter fruit. Empty and futile life. The third question I asked at the beginning, what does it mean to uh, be? A garden. I felt like the Lord asked me that question. 
Well, right away, John 15 comes to me. That's the story uh, in, in which Jesus calls himself the vine and calls us the branches. Um, let me read parts of it uh, to you. John 15, uh, starting in verse 1. It's John 15, 1, starting in verse 1, I think. Uh, this is out of the Passion. I, he says, am a true sprouting vine. And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. So you must remain in life union with me. That sounds like grounding. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Fruitless is severed from the vine. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing, what I'm producing, what I'm achieving. Fruitfulness, how does he say it? Intimately joined to my life. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. You come out of me. As you live in union with me, as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually hear this. Let my love nourish your hearts. To be a garden means to be nourished, nurtured, ten tended to. It also means weeding, removing what has taken root and sprouted up that doesn't belong, that wasn't planted by the garden. It means pruning, having things removed. And pruning is not punishment. Pruning allows me to flourish. It makes room for more. It gets rid of a lot of the stuff that's in the way, or it's just, we're not doing that anymore. That's old. And it makes room for more. And here's my favorite part of Jesus' illustration. Branches don't strain to produce. Branches on a grapevine in a vineyard are not working and striving to push out some grapes. You know, an apple tree isn't going, oh, God, I got one. Whew. It just comes out flowing naturally. Flowing naturally from the source. And then I ask myself, okay, if I am a garden, which tree is at my center? Which operating system? I happen to love gardens. Flowers, and a lot of you not guys know this. Caroline knows this. Flowers are my love language. That and happy hour. Those two things <laughs> are my love language. Um, <laughs> and so I have been spending time. I've, been staying home, I've been being still, and I've been in my garden. And I'm learning to be still and know. Be still and know. <clears throat> I know that as I look at the garden, just like the dew, his mercies are new every morning. I know that he sees the big picture, the whole yard, and he also sees that macro level, the, the tiny details of my life. The intricate 
petals on one bloom of one flower. He sees them. And it reminds me that he is interested in the details of my life and that he is present in the moment, in the stillness. And I'm a part of creation, and it's very good. My garden reminds me that the greatest purpose of my life is to know him. Heidi Baker, a missionary, says, rather than being purpose-driven, I prefer to be presence-centered. All our efforts in God's kingdom must originate from the place of rest, the place of his presence. The place of rest, the place of his presence. Sounds like what God meant when he brought the word garden to my mind. And I can get pulled away from that revelation because of what I see other people doing. The accomplishments and the achievements and the pursuits and all the activity I'm intentionally disconnecting from social media. Every time I go on, yeah, they're all still richer and thinner than me. Okay. <laughs> Checked in for today. Okay, yeah, all right. So it's still the same. Yeah. I, I saw uh, something Brene Brown posted uh, by Dr. Will Coe. Have you guys heard it? You've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. She has, she posted something from Dr. Wilco, Jomo, the joy of missing out. Yeah. Feeling content, here's the definition, feeling content with staying in and disconnecting as a form of self-care. And I'll say, as a form of connecting with the tree of life. Disconnecting from the operating system of the world and connecting with God's operating system. One last thing. Eden means delight in the Hebrew. I didn't know that. Some of you may have known that. But that was a big wow moment for me. Eden means delight. Ah, uh, the heavens are singing. <laughs> so let that sink in. Eden. The garden is called delight. And with that in mind, let me go back to my original questions. What does it mean to live in the delight of God? That's where he is inviting us to live, where he invites us to breathe in his delight. What does it mean to live from the delight of God? To live from it, meaning it's what I come out of. It's what has shaped me. It's my filter, my perspective, my source. I live from the delight of God. Just as a branch produces fruit from the vine. I live from the delight of God. And what does it mean to be the delight of God? 
means that is my identity. I am the delight of God. The cross was a declaration of love, and he wants us to get it. Jesus loves me, this I know. He wants me, he wants you to reject the fruit of shame and fear from the world system and eat from the tree of life. He wants me, he wants you to come back to the garden and all that that means. I believe he wants to redefine love for me. We all grew up with people who tried their best and did their best and gave us what they had. And that's how love was defined for us. But it's an imperfect, feeble, broken, shaky love. And I believe that in the garden, in that place of connection, garden just means connection with God. In that place of connection, he can redefine love. I prayed a prayer about a year ago, and it went something like, Jesus, will you fill in the gaps of what I needed and what I got? Will you fill in the deficits and the gaps? And someone had led me through that prayer. Will you fill in the gaps between what I needed and what I got? And I believe that this is a part of that process. I believe that that happens in connection with him. I believe that happens in the garden, grounded in the garden, in the same frequency, the same rhythm, the same electrical uh, frequencies, if you will, that are in the garden, that are in God, that are in the heart of God. I believe that the greatest thing we can do for God, you know, my friend was talking earlier at the beginning in his letter to me about doing for God. I think the greatest thing we can do for God is let him love us. That's been very hard for me to do. Because I got all the reasons why. I couldn't look at Jesus. couldn't look him in the eye. There's a lot of reasons why I can't be loved. But I can do stuff, and I feel like he's called me to this place, this garden. Will you let me love you? And see, when Adam and Eve ran away and hid, they weren't letting him love them anymore. And I feel like he's saying, come and, and let's remove everything you've covered yourself up with. Let's remove every pretense. Let's remove every mindset, every defense mechanism, every operating system for self-protection. Let's remove all of that and be unashamed, unself-conscious, and let me love you. Because that's the you I made. I want you back. Hear him say that to you. I want you back. I want to recover, redeem, Restore everything that felt lost in the world system because the garden is within you. I want to bring you there into that place of connection with me. So let me just pray over you, right now, over us. Father, we hear your invitation. 
we hear your invitation. And for some of us, it can be a little scarier. It can seem impossible. Or we feel too far away or too covered up. Or we think, yeah, maybe then, but not me. But you have your eye on each person here like a blossom on a flower that you have planted for your delight. Each person here is intricate and reflects your creative genius. And so I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would draw. And like Song of Solomon says, come away with me. That each person here would hear the spirit of the living God, the gardener, calling her, saying, come away with me to where you really belong, to where you really are planted. Come away with me to where you will flourish and thrive, where you don't hide and you don't cover up where you get to experience me and you get to experience you and I get to love you. That's what's been on my heart. That's been my goal. That's why I planted a garden, was to love you and to watch you live in my delight. You are my delight. And I want you to live in it. Let each woman hear this. Let it get past the bruises and the bumps and the scar tissue of life. Permeate us with this whisper, with this invitation. Come away with me. Come away with me. Let me show you who you are. Let me show you who I am. Be still and know me. Be still and feel the delight. Let me nourish you and nurture you and tend you and let me pull up those weeds that I never planted. Let my rain soak you deep. Refresh you, cleanse you. Renew you. It happens in my garden. It happens in my delight. It happens in that place of connection where you let me love you. I pray that each of us RSVPs, yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'm coming. It's an irresistible invitation. I thank you for it, Jesus. I thank you for these women. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for the soil of their hearts, that good soil, where your truth and your words and your love can go deep and produce 10, 30, 100 fold. I thank you for the harvest that your love will produce out of this group. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. All right. You have Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you want uh, a prayer, come up. Ash, you praying? Yeah. Okay.